Hi there, and welcome back. Again, I am Jeremy Frank, and this is the Industrial Transformation Podcast. I am here today and thrilled to be speaking with Shannon Carrolls and Kathy Miller. Shannon and Kathy co-authored a wonderful book that is called Steel Toes and Stilettos, which uh, we're going to be talking about at length in this, in this interview. And the book highlights a lean transformation and the importance of people when undertaking large-scale disruptive business transformations specifically lean transformations. And they're deep experts in this field. I just want to say, Shannon, Kathy, welcome to the podcast. Thanks, Jeremy. We're excited to be here. I'm, I'm so excited to dive into the details and really deeper into the details than we often go with these interviews because I just found your book fascinating and, and it, it, there's a lot that I can relate to. So I, I may grill you a bit on some of these detailed stories so you can share them with those that haven't read the book yet. Before we do that, would you mind just giving a bit of your personal background and your experience to share for the for the listeners? Maybe, Kathy, if you'd like to go first. Sure. So I literally started working around operations as a 17-year-old industrial engineering co-op student um, at a vehicle assembly plant. And I immediately fell in love with the fact that every 60 seconds, a functioning vehicle came off the end of that line. So I never got too far away from operations in my career. Um, I stayed at that plant until I graduated from college. At that time, coincidentally, the plant did close down and I transferred to another company in engineering and worked there in marketing and found that I ultimately missed operations. So I went back to operations and worked my way up through uh, becoming a plant manager in automotive electronics and I ended up leaving there and going to another company and leading their lean and strategy deployment processes, running a P&L, uh, running large manufacturing organizations for four globally publicly traded companies. So now I've left corporate America and have started a company with Shannon called Op Sisters, and we're working with individuals, teams, and businesses who want to improve their results through lean processes, sound leadership principles, and the science of human flourishing. So that's a little bit about my background. Science of human flourishing. I like that. Yeah. Okay. I'll have some specific questions on that too, but Shannon, would you please give us your introduction also? And then, and then I want to dive into a few of the things you even touched on there. Sure. Yeah. So I actually um, started my career as a supply chain trainee. Um, I have a supply chain degree from Western Michigan University, and I spent the first decade or so of my career, just working through all different kinds of supply chain functions and fell into a lean manufacturing transformation. And I just fell in love with the ideals and the processes of, of lean methodologies. So um, I ended up becoming a, a division lean manager responsible for four sites and transforming those, which is part of the story that takes place in the book. And then from there, I uh, went into running operations as well at a couple different companies and um, just loved building teams. And, and then when Kathy and I both kind of simultaneously within six months left our corporate, corporate jobs, we decided to pick up this new project. And it's been a blast ever since. Fantastic. And Op Sisters, I want to talk about that um, just a bit more. Can you explain for the listeners, just to the extent that, you, that, that it's beneficial to explain kind of what your typical engagement is and what kind of organizations you work with and how much of the lean, you know, engagement or other, other value propositions you're addressing. I'd, I'd be interested to hear some of that. 
Yeah. So we do individual coaching or group coaching for teams around lean manufacturing or around some principles of positive psychology that help people thrive in the workplace. And we also will go into companies and help them by looking at their plants and help guiding them through a roadmap of lean implementation. And we have some training classes that we've put together because some companies are on their journey or haven't begun their journey and want to follow the roadmap that we ultimately describe in the book. So we do all of those things. And we generally work with smaller to medium-sized companies that might not have the internal resources. You know, the big companies, it's just the two of us right now in the company, you know, until we grow and have other uh, people join us. So that would be difficult to work with the really big companies unless we're working with some of the divisions within them. Got it. I appreciate that. So I think I'd like to start by going back to one of the experiences you describe in the book. Kathy, just to set the stage, you said the, the book title, Steel Toes and Stilettos, uh, you can talk about kind of where that title comes from. And I want to come to Shannon's story about the actual sharing of the, the shoes. <laughs> but first, your, your first experience at the, at the company, the first you know, company, the first experience that you had, a pretty negative experience your first time inside the plant doors with your father. Could you just Share yeah. a bit of that story and how that why why that was included as kind of the kickoff to the book. Yeah, because when I started, manufacturing was a pretty rough place. It really was. Uh, there wasn't a lot of sensitivity sensitivity around diversity and inclusion and appropriate behavior. <laughs> and the reason I included it is just my father, right? And the way that he wanted me to be successful in that environment that was very intimidating for a 17-year-old girl, right? And so I went through that interview process. We went out, went on the tour. I'm literally locked elbow to elbow with my dad and there's the cat calling and whistling and all of that. And I thought for sure, my dad was very protective. I was the only girl that he would say, no, no, you're not going to take this. But he so wanted me to go to the school, this co-op school, and be able to take care of myself by going into a technical field and not coming out with a lot of debt, that he was not phased by that. He said, hey, those people don't mean anything by it. You know, it was very public, their behavior. They're just normal people. Shake it off and go in there and be successful. And so that really set the tone for how I approached my career in manufacturing. It's, it's a, it's for those that will read the book and I encourage everyone to, it's a really interesting story because, you know, I have three daughters. I don't know that I could have done that. And I, I'm, I was curious to ask you if he, if you hadn't given that, you sort of imply this in the book, do you think you would have taken the job without having the benefit of, of, of his kind of encouragement or direction, having experienced that? No. I wouldn't have. Wouldn't have. Yeah. And, it, and I have. would I would say it's probably obvious that you're glad you did. I am glad I did. You know, right. it's been a really rewarding career and I actually find myself at home in plants. They're definitely not as rough as they used to be, you know, a couple decades ago. And they're so rewarding because you're making tangible products and goods that make the world a better place. And so I can't imagine what my life would have been like had I not chosen this career. Yeah. 
I just, it's fortunate. It, and that, I think the story is so interesting for that reason is that it, it was a relatively interesting thing, courageous thing for your father to do as a father of a 17 year old daughter to say, yeah, this seems a little rough, but it's probably going to work out. That's risky. And then for you to be willing to actually step in and do it must have been a little scary, but you did it. And it, it, it's, uh, I'm glad you did. It's, it's a, it's an interesting way to start the book. So Shannon, uh, yeah, absolutely. Can, can you talk? So what the other, one of the other interesting stories that happens in the book is essentially when you met each other. Now, Shannon, you'd already been working within one, the, one of these companies for a couple of years, but there was this desire on Kathy's part for you to work together. And mm-hmm. it was maybe anything but easy or automatic. <laughs> and I'd like if you could talk, Shannon, from your point, maybe both of you, but Shannon, from your point of view, how that felt and what it was like yeah. to actually go through that process. Yeah, it was bizarre because like you said, I'd been there, I, I'd been there almost a decade and had like really positive results um, that spoke for themselves. And being in supply chain and wanting to go do this lean stuff, I mean, supply chain and production controls, like the center, right, of, of a lean organization. So that's what Kathy was thinking, like, hey, she, you know, she's a supply chain person, can drive processes, and I'm super analytical. So she's like, this is great. So we agreed, her and I, after interviewing and me interviewing with the team, like, yeah, this is a great fit. We're super excited. And then we had to jump through these hoops. Like, I, what was it, Kathy? I didn't have division lean manager on my job, future job plan or some, some document that I hadn't filled out correctly five years ago that, you know, and so it just became all these hoops I had to jump through. And it was the most bizarre thing because Kathy had previously been the VP of lean and quality. So you would think she'd kind of get free reign on who she wanted on her team. Right. Um, and it just didn't work out like that. And, it, and, and I don't know why still to this day, I'm not sure why that all happened. Um, they just felt like I really wasn't qualified, I guess. And so I mean, we, the story is like we had to go on a hundredth interview, it felt like, after I'd already passed the other ones, sitting in this corporate office. Like, and I'm, I don't know this to be true, but my, it felt to me like it was hotter than like you would never believe in this office. And I was like, I am not taking my suit coat off. I don't care what they do. <laughs> I was just so <laughs> adamant to outlive this interview. And um, and then finally, finally, they I guess they succumbed. I don't know. I proved them right and got, got the job. But man, that was brutal. And it's sort of implied in the book. And I'd like to hear your perspective, Kathy. I mean, is part of the implication, do you think that it was because you were female? that it was made more difficult than it should have been? Or is, is that the wrong inference to draw? You know, I don't know why it was so difficult. I'll be real honest. I didn't see a lot of other general managers going through the same process of scrutiny. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't, I don't know why it was honestly, Jeremy, I tended not to th- try to take things that happened in my career and tie them to because I'm a female. You know, I just tried to look at them as, okay, this is an obstacle that I have to overcome for whatever reason. And in that particular instance, we had an HRVP who was very process oriented. So like Shannon said, she hadn't put, I want to be a lean manager on her future job, (laughs) you know, titles um, on her, on her HR form. And I think Actually, it may have been a little bit of lack of understanding about lean, quite honestly, Mm -hmm. 
because supply chain people, especially supply chain people who've worked in plants, who know how to move material and information, they're absolutely key to the success of it. And I think my feelings were more hurt about it because I felt like you're entrusting me to lead this, you know, $75 million business but you don't trust me to pick my own team, you know? And I was fine with the process of one person up interviewing because that was pretty standard. But to this day, I don't know why they put us through so many hoops. And quite honestly, I was so happy that Shannon was so successful in the role, you know? And that's what's so interesting about the story. I mean, really hearing that, it sounds like it was more on your side, Kathy, than Shannon's. It wasn't so much about your experiences, Shannon, or certainly Mm -hmm. gender. It was about, you know, you, Kathy, coming from being in the lean central corporate role to owning the PL and how much how much free reign do you actually have? And mm-hmm. right. history shows that you should have had a ton of it. And ultimately you had to push through that initial obstacle. But that's what becomes the interesting story. I maybe just to spend a second on that, because it's it's later. Mm-hmm. I, have, I have a whole page of notes that I'm that I'm <laughs> going to refer to because I just found it the story's fascinating. But you do talk about it later in the book. The idea of understanding basically what type of background is necessary to be effective at lean transformation mm-hmm. it has nothing to do with gender. That part of it is just, it's a, right. it's like, do you need a formal degree? Do you need training in, in this or that? Do you need to check the box that I'm interested in, you know, the five-year plan? And, and I think your point of view was no, you, well, maybe could you tell me what, Yeah. what was I, your point of view and how does that differ from what kind of what you experienced and then what did you learn in the process? Maybe, you know, Lean manufacturing and lean enterprise, ultimately, because if you're really going to transform a business, it can't just be about the manufacturing process. It has to be about all the processes involves so many functional experts and so many processes. So there's certainly degrees that are helpful to have if you're going to come in and serve in that role for a while. Supply chain is one of them. Industrial engineering is one of them. Um, Math is one of them. But it's certainly a trainable function. And quite honestly, I think it's important for people in all functions to get in there and learn about continuous improvement and the processes and then go back out and be experts within their functions so that the processes sustain themselves. So, no, I don't think you need a degree in it. I I know that one person said one time, you know, well, we don't let people without accounting degrees, you know, run our books. But I don't think the same thing applies. As a matter of fact, we taught a lot of these concepts to our hourly workforce because we needed their ideas. They were the ones closest to the work that needed to be done and knew how the equipment worked and how the material flowed and all of those things. So a lot of those people didn't have any formal education beyond high school and they picked it up once they understood what we were trying to do. So no, I'm a strong advocate that you don't need that. Okay. Fascinating. So, so from here, I want to go dive into the depth of, again, why I have a whole page of notes and so many questions and stories to talk through is because my experience reading the book, just to share with you, I, I kind of, from the title and from under, I, I'd seen you on a, a couple of interviews previously in the title, Steel Toes and Stilettos, I thought it was mostly going to be a, a story about the experience of being female in industrial leadership and in industrial engineering, lean mostly about that. And that, you know, that's what I picked it up and read. And it is about that to some extent. But what I think it's primarily about is just two extremely uh, capable professionals carrying out a lean transformation 
in a, in a, a series of stories that make it very compelling and, and well articulated. You know, it's not really about the, from my point of view, I don't know if, if this is what yeah. would align with you, but it's just, it's, it's the accomplishment itself. And I don't know the fact that you came in with this interesting story in the beginning with, with long heels on and had to adjust that. And the experiences are definitely related. Don't get me wrong, but it's the accomplishment itself that I think was so interesting and notable. I'm curious if you see it that way, was that intended or is it? Yeah. Yeah. So it wasn't, it was intended that way. And, and actually how it came about is we were, post working together for by a few years. And we, you know, we were together reminiscing because we were both at that time going through trying to implement the same things at different companies. And we had struggles and challenges. And we just kept thinking, why were we so successful? What, what did we do differently that led to these amazing business results, these inclusive cultures? Like what were we doing that worked so well? And so as we started to dissect that, we really started to piece this story together of, gosh, you know, we, these are the things we did. This is the roadmap we went through in order to get the results. And then we said, you know, there's a lot of books out there on all this lean stuff. There's books on individual tools. There's books on other types of processes. So why is our story different? And that's where it becomes what it became is it is about the fact of who we were as people. It was about how we included the whole team and, and took that respect for people at our foundation of everything we did. And we truly believe that's the majority of what led to our success. Cause like Kathy said, lean is just a, a set of methodologies. If you really think about it and, and a kit of tools that anybody can, can put into place, but it's about that package of the people that made our story. We feel very different and successful. So you're absolutely right. It is what it's about. It's a truly transformation. And then all the life that happens while that's going on. Yeah. But, you know, we're also acutely aware that we're still in an extreme minority in a male-dominated industry. And people are fascinated by that. You know, I was almost always one of very few female executives at these companies that I worked for and almost the only one in operations many times. And so that's why we put that spin on the title was because we want to inspire women to look at this and know that you can be successful in a male-dominated environment. But it's we didn't tend to focus on that as we were going along. We just focused on getting results. And that's ultimately what made us successful. But we do want the younger generation to know that, you know, regardless of your gender, you can be successful in these fields. We did it um, and we didn't have female role models to follow. So we're hoping we can be female role models for people, in addition to people who want to, you know, read the journey and learn about the roadmap. And like Shannon said, there's a lot of books out there on lean transformations and the steps. So we wanted to be different and unique. And what you get in the book is two different perspectives. You get a general manager who has all the P&L, and then you have the person who has to do all the technical um implementations and bring people along and teach them. So it's almost two books in one from that standpoint. Definitely. And the back and forth of it is, and you know, the fonts are different. And so you can always have, you know, content. It's very easy to digest those two different points of view. It really comes across marvelously. So I want to go into that next is some of the actual stories of the lean implementation. What I'd like to do bef just before that, if, if you don't mind, I personally think that lean is, 
as you said, Shannon, it's a relatively simple, straightforward set of tools. At least that's one way to look at it. There are some people that make it seem or, or behave as if it's much more complicated. There's also people that I think just fundamentally misunderstand the whole fundamental point of lean. That's my, now I'm not a lean expert. I've, I've, I'm in technology. I've talked with a lot of lean experts. We work with some of the companies who are the very best lean. I mean, the originators of it and the users of it at huge scale and mid scale. And so I just observe this, even just the term when people say lean six Sigma and they kind of throw those two things together as if they're the same thing kind of drives me crazy. And I'm curious if it drives you crazy because they're so different, they're related. Can you just describe what lean is from your point of view for, for the audience? What, what does, what, what should people think about when they say lean? So lean is, you know, based on the Toyota production system that's been around for decades and it's really flowing value to the customer at the rate of demand with the least amount of waste and the highest quality. And what you're trying to do is reduce the lead time so that you're close to your customers, what they want, and you can adapt and change, be competitive and be the best supplier that you can be. Perfect. Gina, anything to add to that? That's it. And the foundation is respect for people. Respect for people. Yeah. And, and just continuous improvement knowledge. And that's where it is. It's, it's just, it, it is that simple. Paul Akers is one of the experts I've talked to and he kind of really leans heavily. I don't know if you know Paul, but he leans yeah. heavily on the just two second lean, just, yeah, just really insisting on making it as simple as possible, which I think is, is just interesting. He's certainly a fun person to talk to <laughs> the, um, okay. So I'd like to go through a couple of the, the stories that you touch on. So maybe first, just I think this is in the second chapter when you were first really setting the vision and getting. So I, I was going to set the stage for the the context, but maybe it's better for you to do that. You you get in and you're now working together, engaging in a lean transformation for a specific set of plants. And you had said, Kathy, the the thing that I really took note of is that the privilege of 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 doing that, the privilege of creating quote healthy manufacturing plants, and why that's so important. So you're out to do this together. Can you just set the stage for for what that is? And then specifically, if you could include the E7P and explain what that oh. was. Can you, just, can you just walk us through uh, what you were doing and why, and then the, the vision and how that all fits together yeah. with that specific one? So I'll start with my passion. I feel like everything that I have in my life is because of manufacturing and my experience there. And so I really... And, and it's my mission and what still drives me right now. It is a privilege to get in and help businesses be successful so that my children and my children's children have an opportunity to work in manufacturing if they want to. And the thing that I love about manufacturing is that there's room for everybody in manufacturing, regardless of your skill set, regardless of your education level, you can come into manufacturing and add value and help make the world a better place. So that really drives me. And anytime I take on an organization or work with an organization, that's my ultimate goal is to create this really healthy business that will thrive for generations. So I was um, excited to be a general manager and run the P&L at this division. And so I was setting the vision. And when I came in, I already had a lot of experience transforming other plants. You know, I transformed a UAW plant and won a Shingo award. So, and been working with plants all over the world. 
So it was a privilege to get the opportunity at this company to show how it's done from a leader standpoint, not, you know, the functional leader and going around and doing that. So uh, that was really important to me. So the first thing that I do when I take over a, a facility or a number of facilities is I clean them up and make the physical space something that is amazing, right? It, it, and usually it just involves fresh paint. You know, you can get so much with fresh paint. And I want people to know that I respect them. I respect their environment. It's hard for me to ask them to respect the product if I don't respect their environment. So uh, I was at a meeting with my peers and my bosses and someone asked, you know, what is this $40,000 charge on your P&L? And having been around the block a few times, um, I chose to bluff. And I said, well, that's for Project E7P. And everybody just kind of nodded because nobody wanted to admit they didn't know what that acronym meant. So I sat down and the former general manager leaned over because he would know all the projects, right, associated with the division. And he said, Kathy, what's what's E7P? And I said, eliminate 70s paneling. And he just busted out laughing and I got away with it. And... (laughs) The rest is history. But what happened was, you know, putting fresh paint on those walls was a an amazing uplift for the people, you know? And so they realized that we really cared about their environment and we were going to ask them to care about the processes that we were putting into place. I love that. Yeah, it's just a fun story, but it also, I think, highlights how you start. Right. I mean, in, in I think most of the experts I've spoken to that actually do lean, not not those that like those that truly understand it, it starts by just setting the basic value flow and then cleaning things up so you can understand what's where the waste is, right? I mean, that's yeah. it's not like you're doing it just just to make people feel good. You're doing it because that sets the tone for eliminating waste. Absolutely. I think, right? Absolutely. But it's a very visible change that they can see, like, we're going to be doing things differently. So Shannon, maybe the next story then, I think this is one, I know from the book, this is one that you live personally. And it starts at a high level. The The quote that I wrote down from the book was, "It's this is the tuggers, kind of the flow, literally the flow of, of parts and material throughout the plant. And the quote is that the tuggers are the most important part of the entire plant which may be a little counterintuitive. Can you just get walk us through what are tuggers? Why are they important? And then what was the process of focusing the organization on, on how that, you know, how that drives improvement? Yeah. So a, a tugger is just a term. It, it's a, it's essentially someone or something that moves material and it could be a motorized vehicle. It could be a cart. It could be a person carrying stuff. It, it's all, it's something that helps move material through the building. So when we went down this path, and I love asking these questions to companies I go in and, and work with, and I ask them, what's the most important position in the plant? And they usually tell me one of their, you know, one of their bottleneck machines or something like that. And, and really the answer is it's, it's the tugger, the person who operates the equipment that moves material from point A to point B. And the reason that that's so important is because if you don't have what you need when you need it, the rest of it is moot. Because you're going to lose productivity, you're going to spend time finding it, you're going to be waiting. All the wastes that go on happen when you don't have the material you need 
when you need it. And that's why this position and this operation is so important. Material and information flow is truly the backbone of a lean organization. And once you figure that part out, which is not always the easiest part to figure out, but once you figure that out, everything can start to build around that process, which is why it's one of the things we started with is your inventory control and then how you're going to move it around. Well, I was just going to ask the, so your your background started in, in supply chain. Do you think that's somewhat personal for you because you you have that as your foundation? Or do you think that that's broadly applicable? Do you find kind of in doing this with very various companies and now working together in your business, do you think that's a, a broad common thing or is that somewhat influenced by your personal background or a little both? No, no, I believe it's a broad comment. If you're if you're actually making material, manufacturing stuff and making materials and moving it around, I think that's truly the backbone because there's so much waste and loss of productivity that comes from that. So when companies are looking at how do I become more productive? How do I make more money? That's one of the first questions I ask them is how are you moving material? And more often than not, they look at me like I'm crazy because they're like, well, why don't you want to look at our how many pieces we're producing per hour? Or why don't you want to look at our machine downtime? And I said, because you've, how many people do you have moving material? Because if some, if, if you've got more than one and everybody's moving material, then they're not making parts. So it doesn't matter what the rest of it is. Well, I really did. I thought that part of the story. And again, I, I, I want to end, I have just some notes on the business outcomes. I mean, it's one thing to eliminate 70s paneling. It's one thing to make the, the materials move through the plant. And there's other stories, fixing the stairs. There's all these interesting stories. And I don't want to go there yet, but just to, to preview it, the business accomplishments that you achieved are just jaw-dropping. It's unbelievable that when you, like, when you do it right, when you truly understand how to do lean and you apply it across a whole organization and you have the firepower to do it and the license to do it, especially once you've been allowed to build your team the way you want... I mean, the, the results are unbelievable. And it's, um, that's why I just, I mean, that's, that's why this book is so powerful. The, the fact that you infuse it with your personal stories make it compelling because I find it relatable. I think a lot of people will find it relatable in, in the way that some of those more abstract perspectives are harder to directly relate to. So I, I maybe would pause with that. So it kind of as a question, like the, the stairs example of addressing safety issues, the tuggers, um, just just making, you know, 5S cleaning up the plant. Could, could you maybe talk about what drove the impacts that we'll talk about? I think we'll conclude by talking about some of the business impacts. But as you go, as you do go back and you're working in different roles and you're working now again together, you go back to this experience in the book. How did you do it? How did you achieve such powerful outcomes? Well, what was the most important thing that you would share? I think the most important thing is that we got everybody involved in the process of improving things. And it wasn't just manufacturing that we focused on. We focused on customers. We focused on bringing them into the plants and making the plants our best selling tool. So people wanted to buy from us. We focused on relationships with customers, with our peers, with our suppliers, and really understood the realities of what we were dealing with and always going to the floor and seeing what was happening or going to finance to see what was happening with the accounting processes. We didn't do this from the conference rooms. We did it where work, work took place. Yeah. Yeah. I agree with Kathy. I mean, for, for me, it was definitely that inclusive culture that we built. I mean, 
we we didn't do it alone, that's for sure. Um, and once we got, it just went faster and faster. The more people that we taught, the more um, engagement we got from the organization, the more people would come up and say, hey, I have an idea. That's that's what really started to get it going. And that's what I, I, I personally think, that we just provided the platform and the teaching to allow the organization to pick it up and, and take it with where where we went. And that's how we were so successful. And we just, there's there's one other thing I will say that Kathy doesn't talk about this a lot, but she painted this incredibly optimistic picture. And I'm not saying it was all rainbows and unicorns optimism and we were singing Kumbaya all around a conference table, but it was more of this that the two of us knew we could do it. We didn't necessarily know how we would get there, but we had every confidence that the team could do it. And I think that made a really big difference. Mm. Because it helped, you had everyone involved and now they could watch you and believe that it was actually possible. Exactly. Yeah. And we gave them the, we invested in them and we gave them the opportunity to learn and then to apply what they learned. It wasn't like we just sent them all to a bunch of classes and said, oh good, now you're, you're experts. As we allowed them to learn and try and fail but we provided psychologically safe places that they could fail. You just had to protect the customer, be safe, and you know don't impact quality. I mean, those are the main three things. But that was a big benefit, and it made people feel safe that there weren't, wasn't going to be a repercussion because they tried something and it didn't work out. And that was one line I always said over and over again: If it doesn't try, if it doesn't work, we'll try something else. Just try with me, and and that helped a lot. I think. It's super interesting, especially where I want to go next is because it's, like you said, it's not butterflies and rainbows. And in fact, there's a lot of stories in here that are difficult and require a lot of work. And one of the things I wrote down is that I, I didn't, I don't recall which of you said it, but the quote was that we hire people to work, not just to do a job. And I was, I was kind of curious to hear more about what you meant by that. I, I have a thought, but what did you mean by that? And what does that imply in terms of, I mean, this is not necessarily an easy thing. It's rewarding and it's impactful, but there's a lot of struggle and hard work that went into what you achieved. Can you talk about what you meant by that specific line and then how, how success was achieved? Yeah. And actually that quote came from, from our mentor, Rick Harris, and he's the one who asked us the question and most of us answered it. Well, to do a job, that's what you hire people for. And he's like, no, no, no. You hire people to work here. They can do any job or any function, but they're here to work X amount of hours a day. And it's your job to get back the time and make sure that time is productive. And that was such a different way to look at it. So just because person A does this job and person B does another job, are they work? Are they working for the, let's say, eight hours or whatever that is that they're meant to be there? Because if they're not and you only have them focus on a job, then you're losing productivity there. Yeah, I I think that is a different point of view, and it's um I thought it was just notable. We struggle with that in our company, of just what what is the right expectation for people, and I, I think it's I, I that that really resonated with me, so I appreciate it. So one of the other things that resonated with me was the story again difficulties. This was your story, Kathy, but the um, so you're achieving all of these outcomes, and you had a really powerful team that did include a lot of women. So this was part of it that kind of reinforces the backdrop for this of being in a minority, a gender minority in industry. 
And you got some feedback that was just one of the most impactful parts of the book for me from a, a leader who was talking about that, you know, some of that diversity needed to be spread around. Can you tell that story and just why that was so impactful for you and kind of walk us through it? Yeah, absolutely. So I was vice president of lean and quality at this company, and I wanted to go into be a VP of ops. I felt that was the right next move. And I was told several times that nobody could be a VP of ops at this company unless you were a general manager first. And I was really frustrated by that because I'd won a Shingo award at a $750 million operation. So I really wanted to get in there, do the general manager job and prove to them, you know, that I was capable of moving to the next level. So it was very personal, right? It was very personal showing them that I knew how to lead a team and I knew how to get results. Ultimately, I cared about the success of the business. That's what drives me, right? But, and you have to care about it sincerely or people will understand that you're, you know, not in it for them and the good of the long term. But there were some deeply personal parts of it for me in my career. So we were working so hard to get there and show results. And, you know, the first year it was very slow because you have to put so many foundational tools in place that don't pay off immediately. And as I stood back and looked at what we had accomplished, I was really hoping that this person who I'd had many career talks with would, I just pictured it that they were going to say, Kathy, this is what we wanted to see. Great job, right? So that's what I thought the end of the day would look like. And instead, what happened was the person said, oh, you've got all this diversity. I need you to help me get it into other divisions. And I was so taken aback by that because, A, I was I was looking for that affirmation that I had worked so hard to get for myself and my team. But I was also taken aback because it was a little insulting from the standpoint of, I'm not the only person who can hire and get results from diverse teams. (laughs) You know, I happen to be a female leader. I just hired people who were best for the job. You know, there were other females who interviewed and didn't get the job because they weren't the best ones for it. But I think that I did attract a more diverse candidate pool because of how I led, not because I was a female. And so I just felt like that A, didn't affirm the accomplishments of the team, and B, put more emphasis on gender and other business issues that were not related to what was being seen there. Yeah, it's I relate to that in a few ways because I just think I think especially when you're a high level leader, as you said, you know, you're providing that perspective, it can make it that much more difficult to share the truly honest difficult stories that you experience. It's just, it's difficult because it's loaded. And I would even guess, you know, looking at it through my lens, when you're not in the minority, that the, the, the person who failed to give that validation and, and even, you know, kind of gave you that input that made you feel that way, I would imagine surely did not feel that, want that to happen. You know, probably had no intention oh. for you to have a negative perception. It, quite the opposite, I would guess, especially the way you wrote it. 
but yet it happened. And it just, it's such a, that's what's so interesting to think about it in the book is it helps somebody like me think you have to change your mindset and broaden it to, to look at how people who, who are in various uh, other less represented perspectives, it, it's hard, and, but it's so necessary to have that perspective so that you increase your awareness and prevent those kind of unintended things from happening. That's what I just thought it was so compelling. Well, I, you know, and I learned from that after I, you know, had my big ugly cry by myself in my car, <laughs> that I didn't really ever want to be that unaware of other people, you know? Mm-hmm. So I really made it my mission after that to make sure that when I was interacting with people, I was being in the moment with them, right? Not worried about my agenda, right? I, I'm sure there was a big agenda to increase diversity in the leadership. There's nothing wrong with that agenda, but that was not pertinent to what the day was about. And so I really try when people are in my field of view to see them and to hear them and to be where they are so that I don't inadvertently cause hurt feelings. Yeah. It came across loud and clear to me too. So it's a takeaway for sure. Well, so many takeaways. I, as we said in the in the the prep for this, I think I could spend another hour talking about this, but I think we're getting close on our time. But as I've said, the, the just foreshadowing it, I do want to talk some about the achievement itself, the business outcomes. Because you know, this is an industrial transformation podcast. We speak to business leaders, people that are in the trenches, making things better. And what you accomplished was unbelievable. And toward the end of the book, it goes through some of the challenges to get across the finish line going through 300 total improvements and, and uh, the various <laughs> stories. But can you just walk through at a high level? Well, I'll, I'll say the ones that I wrote down, just so you know that uh, from the list of accomplishments, a 74% reduction of injury rate, 74% reduction just by doing the things you did and a 50% improvement in profitability. And then being able to just stop with, you know, inclusive, a whole team that felt like and did participate in achieving just those two things from my point of view, that's everything. But what else? I mean, what else did you achieve that you're really proud of that, that we can kind of put a bow on this this experience that you had that you wrote about in the book? Yeah, what was what was really, really cool. And Kathy said the whole point, you know, of lean is to be able to get the products to the customers and at, at the their demand rate and reduce lead time. So I mean across the board we reduced lead time by over 50%, which means we were getting the customer their products that much faster. And the other big one, well, they're all they're all meaningful to me, but 93% reduction in defects that we produced. I mean, our quality just went through the roof. Um, and then Kathy, I'm just gonna I'm gonna keep going. And then um, the other two that we really found when we were really struggling, like Kathy said, in those first couple of years to show these results that we could feel, but they just weren't reading out yet, was our we got a 25% increase in sales and a 16% increase in productivity. So we were not only growing sales, but we were doing it that much more effectively. And I think went, you know, all these things went hand in hand with the increased sales and it was just phenomenal results. Yeah, yeah for, for me, I wanna talk a little bit more about the sales one because I'm sure that one of the reasons that the people wanted me to have the experience of being a general manager was because you were in charge of P&L. And so many times when you run plants, you're just a cost center, right? Mm -hmm. And so they wanted to make sure that I had that experience. And 
you know, that was a wise thing for me to get experience in um, how you develop relationships with customers. And so the 25% increase in sales was huge for me because my boss, who was a wonderful man, it was like having a scholarship on growth from him. And he was always telling me, Kathy, if you're not growing, you're dying. And so to figure out how to leverage the plant and the team and the technology and all of the things that my team had to have people want to come to us at a 25% higher rate was just so gratifying for me. Well, and to be able to hire more people. And it's like, it's just compounding, right? And then to have the people see, oh my gosh, we're growing. Sales are up. Look at how great we're doing. We're hiring more people. I mean, all of that just continues to bolster results. And in the model plant, sorry, I know we're so excited about this, <laughs> but in the model plant, we were, <laughs> we were able to show how much money we saved, how much sales um, and profitability we were able to contribute to the bottom line. And as a result, I was able to get a capital expenditure approved to air condition the plant and give back to the people who gave so much to the business. And that was, I think, the biggest reward of all is letting people know that, you know, it's just not about throwing more profit in, in the company coffer. I mean, that is important because you have to be profitable to survive. But the fact that people saw the contributions of the people and wanted to continue to make it a great place for them to work. Yeah. It's just amazing. It's an amazing story. Thank you for sharing those outcomes. I mean, it is, it's, it's really almost hard to believe the 93% quality defect reduction. I, that one was almost hard to believe, but I'm glad you pointed that out in the whole, the, the overall impact. It's an amazing story. It's a great book. Again, Steel Toes and Stilettos by Kathy Miller and Shannon Carrolls. And it so resonates with KCF. Our whole approach is building technology that elevates people, which really is just, it fits in with the entire approach you describe in the book. So I would encourage all listeners to, to get the book, read it, and also would wish you the best. I mean, I'm, I'm really thrilled for the both of you to now be able to do this in business and, and go out and just sort of continue to spread the gospel together. So I appreciate it. And I thank you so much for being on this on this podcast interview today. Thank you, Jeremy. It's been wonderful. Yes. Thank you. So again, it's uh, the Industrial Transformation Podcast and I'm Jeremy Frank. Thank you very much. Awesome.